Jay? Blakey? Jay! Video games were a huge part of my childhood. I super smashed, I starcrafted, I haloed. But I often wondered, what would it be like to design my own video game? Enter Blake McDermott, Australian extraordinaire. We've been friends for over a decade, but we haven't been in the same physical proximity for a while. After graduating from university in Vancouver, Blake moved to places like Swaziland, Australia, Darwin, Mongolia, and now Vanuatu. Not only is he a man without borders, but he has also ventured into designing his own video games. Welcome to Progress Not Perfection, the leadership podcast where we grow through what we go through. My name is JQ and I'll be your co-pilot. Each episode, we sit down with leaders to explore how they build companies and communities, products and services with a vision for the greater good. We dig into how they create clarity and chaos as they wrestle with messy situations and also how they navigate their own career journeys along the way. If you're ready, let's step to it. To get started, you and I used to live together in <laughs> yes, we did in a ghetto house on Forty First in Maine. Uh, describe so ghetto. <laughs> describe what that experience was like for you. <laughs> oh, that ghetto house! First of all, it was a, a four bedroom place which we put uh, five people in. <laughs> so that should that should give you give you a start let's not underestimate the sketchiness like it was very sketchy i had a i had a car stolen from there do you remember that <laughs> the good old pontiac sunfire yeah exactly i thought someone may had maybe towed it but uh, well i guess someone did tow it tow it but permanently <laughs> they're still towing it today i haven't got it back so uh yeah i lost a car there there was a guy downstairs who hmm. i think he had the hearing sensitivity of a bat. Like he would, he, I remember even if I was breathing too hard, he'd start knocking on the, uh, he'd use his broom to start hitting on the, start hitting the floorboards and he'd always come up and just like mouth, mouth, mouth us off. But uh, <laughs> despite the sketchiness, man, I, I had a very, very good time living there. You guys were the best. It was a ton of fun, wasn't it? <laughs> Since the, the ghetto house. Uh, a lot has changed for all of us, but especially for you. Start by telling us about your video game journey. Yeah, so yeah, this will be a long, a long conversation. <laughs> all in all, it lasted six years. It started in 2013, 2019. During that time, I had two major games. Uh, the first was called 89 Doors, and that I think was about 2013 to 2015. And then I had uh, Forgive Me, My Henchman, the second game. That was from about 2015 to 2019. Uh, during that time, there were also a couple of smaller games uh, I made. But, you know, these were games you make in a few days or a week or so. So they, they were fun, but they weren't, the, yeah, they weren't the meat. Right. So 2013, you decided to get into video games. How did that, how did that happen? It was, was during my master's, I was studying all the time 
all the time and I needed a mental break and I needed a hobby. I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool to try making a game? You know, I think everyone always, everyone has a song in them. Everyone has a movie in them. And, uh, you know, a lot of people such as myself have a game in them. So I thought, you know, I'm just going to see if I can see if I can do this. Mm-hmm. So you have this idea. You're like, I want to make a game. What, yeah. what did what did you do at the start? Did you is, was there a particular software that you used or videos that you watched? Yeah, it's pretty daunting. It's, you don't always know how to start something like that. So I just started researching on the net. So I found some game making software called Game Maker Studio. Why I chose to use that software was that it was complex enough to allow you freedom to do what you want to do. But it's also easy enough so that a complete beginner such as myself could eventually learn it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Game Maker Studio. That uh, software is now, well, it's, there's now Game Maker Studio 2. Oh, cool. Okay. So it feels like maybe when you were just getting started, you know, the the dynamics even where to start, what did that look like for you? You know, translating an idea into reality. Yeah, with 89 Doors, really you just, well, you kind of get a vision for what the game is and you know what has to happen. Like, for example, like the character has to move. They need to respond every time it hits a wall all this kind of stuff. So there's a million different things to do. I guess you just have to start somewhere. So I think I started with character movement. Then I, you know, did a bunch of YouTube research, farm research, and then you kind of learn how to just code step by step by step. And actually, I really loved that about the gaming community in particular. I feel like even more so than any other industry, people are out there to help each other. It seems whenever I had a question, there were always farms I could go to or videos I could watch and there'd be people to kind of who have faced a similar problem who can guide you through it. Mm. Especially considering that guiding you through it, right? It's not, it's not just like one thing it feels like because you mentioned a lot of the logistics, right? Of, of how to code character movements. Mm. But then there's also the other side of it, which is the, the essence of the game, which is very creative too right so what was 89 doors how, how would you describe that game to someone just picking it up it was a maze game pretty much you played as a character who's trying to navigate her way through mazes while escaping from an insatiable creature of hunger that was called 89 doors because there were 89 levels that's a lot of levels too many levels yeah i should have named it like 12, 12 doors. <laughs> it would have been a much shorter development journey. <laughs> I, uh, I remember playing it for the first time, and, and it's one of those games where um, the maze unfolds as you move through the, the map, right? Um, so, yeah. so it's yeah. like everything's pitch black, but you, you have a bit of light as you walk through. And these creatures would just pop out and eat me. And I'm like, what are you trying to do, Blake? It feels like you're trying to give me nightmares here. Yeah, that was really, that is really my, my goal, like as a creator and, you know, as an entertainer. You know, I want my players to have PTSD and a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Mission accomplished. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So you said 2013 to like 2015-ish. You're, you're, you're building this game. You're not really sure what you're doing. And that it took a lot, it seems like it took a long time to build because you had 89 levels. What, what was the launch like for you and and how did you approach even the launch in the first place so my so i completed the game to the best of my ability and i was thinking about launch and to be honest i thought it would just be a simple process 
You know, I thought like putting an app on the app store is just pretty much uh, you upload a game, oops, on the app store, billions of people download it, you retire, move to Hawaii, etc. And I thought it was just a very simple, straightforward process. I got to say, yeah, wool was pulled. Um, how do you say wool pulled from the eyes? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. No, that doesn't make sense. Pulled over your eyes. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Pulled anyway, the there was there was there were eyes involved, and there was wool. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah. <laughs> but you just um, have yeah, eyes. no, getting <laughs> yeah, fluffy eyes. That'll be the name of my next game. Yeah. So it's actually a very complex process to get something onto the app store. At least it was for me. It seemed like there were a million different hoops to jump through. And to be honest, also the app store getting uh, something discovered on the app store, it is tough. It is tough. There's thousands of games released, often like or like hundreds or thousands of apps released every single day. You just become invisible. I didn't know. I thought it would be way simpler than it would, but I didn't. I didn't expect competition to be so fierce and how how amazingly difficult it would be to stand out. And uh, as someone who knew nothing, I mean, it was hopeless. But I mean, it's even a challenge for someone who's. Like this is even a challenge for big teams and people with mm-hmm. massive budgets. So, man, we'll I, I'd love to dig into that a bit more. It, I've worked with video game companies in the past, having them as my clients, and you'd be surprised at like how many studios pop up mm. where they set up shop, buy everything to like equip these developers to to build just like as many games as possible because they never know which one's going to be a massive hit. So to your point to do it yourself and then to go through building a a video game from scratch that itself seems pretty impressive and and huge what was that moment like when when you launched and to your point you're like oh nobody's downloading it what was that like for you after all the work that you put in hmm how was it on one hand like it was like well i was feeling a lot as you can tell by the by the pause, but it wasn't all bad stuff. Like I, I realized on one hand, I'd been a bit naive mm-hmm. and, you know, I was determined to be successful as a developer, but I realized that the journey would be a lot longer. So this loss, I guess, or the, this lack of success with 89 doors was actually a relatively easy one to deal with rather than my next one. But, and I'll, I'll go into why. Uh, why 89 Doors was easier to deal with is through the development journey. I did learn a lot of skills. So by the time 89 Doors launched, um, I was skilled enough to, even when I released the game, I knew like, okay, this isn't the best that I can do. Mm-hmm. Like I can make a game much better than this. I guess how I framed that was um, 89 Doors therefore became like, I, I saw it like as a learning journey. Success would have been nice, but I felt like, you know, okay, maybe that was just the grind I had to go through to set me up for something. Like, it was just like one day I was working on 89 Indoors, the next day I was working on my next game. There wasn't really even a break. I just kind of transitioned. So, mm. I mean, that that being said, <laughs> when you, uh, you know, when you work uh, two years on something <laughs> and you see it has like, you know, 71 downloads, you're like, hmm, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> time well spent. It's cool that you bounced back so quickly. You spent a lot of time reflecting afterwards, and now maybe now looking back, what were maybe the three big takeaways from Eighty Nine Doors? Was it competency? Was it foundations of video game design? What, what was that for you? Well, one was just like pretty much them skills. 
I took away those skills. So I learned a ton about coding and how code works. I learned also basic game designs like UI design, sorry, user interface design. Second learning was this is a tough industry. You have to work hard. I can't believe how much time it took to create a game. Three was that, hey, publicity is key. That's actually a mission in and of itself. Somehow, some way, you've got to get your game out there. And before, I just thought, you know, a good game would sell itself. But um, no, you can have a great game, but marketing is key. Right. And throughout this, um, video game design was side of desk, right? It, it wasn't your full-time gig. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. So my journey, which started in 2013. So first, I was just doing it as, yeah, hobbies. And I just do it between masters. And during that time, Jay, I fell deeply in love. You know how people always say like, oh, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Well, like that was the first time, like I've done a bunch of jobs, but that was the first thing I was doing, which I absolutely fell in love with. I just really enjoy like the challenge. Like it's like you're solving puzzles all day long. There's that aspect to it, but there's also the creativity aspect to it. I mean, you can create an entire world and that's just very cool. So it was the first time I absolutely, yeah, loved what I did. And you hear about people talking about that kind of stuff. I'd never experienced it for myself. Mm. And through that journey, I realized that, oh, the love is real. And I'm going to make this a big part of my life if I can. So pretty much I did my master's. I moved to Mongolia. I was working there too. And once again, this was just doing evenings and weekends. After that, I moved to Darwin. And then it's like, I, I don't know, I was trying to transition to becoming a game maker. So therefore, I took, I guess, a not career helpful job as much as just working as a tutor at a school. But that was only about, I think it was like 25 to 30 hours a week, which meant I could dedicate more time to gaming. That was going to, the big dream was to eventually, yeah, become a full-time game developer, which well, I kind of did, but that was the next game. Awesome. Well, what a great segue. Mm. Thanks for sharing the lessons learned for 89 Designs. Or sorry, 89 Doors. 89 Designs. <laughs> it could be the next day. We'll have like, we'll have floofy eyes. We'll have uh, all yeah. over eyes. Yeah, 89 Designs. The options are endless here. So we're at, forgive me my henchmen, you're armed with these skill sets that you didn't have before and that you had built up over these two years. And uh, yeah. you, you jump into this new project. Yeah, so forgive me my henchman. It's a tower defense game uh, where you play as the typical action movie head bad guy. You deploy henchmen and sabotage a building to stop one-man army action hero as he fights his way up your building floor by floor. Oh, awesome. So you're actually the antagonist. Yes, you, your, your protagonist is the antagonist. <laughs> yeah. And your awesome. antagonist is the protagonist. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, and so you're yeah. trying to prevent the good guy from getting to you. To, to yes. The good guy who is your bad guy. <laughs> That's awesome. Cool. Doesn't it sound defense. so straightforward? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was that like? How did you approach this game differently? Well, there was a lot more to consider. I mean, it was a it's a much bigger, more complex game, but... I knew I needed to go just bigger and better. And I knew like, to, make, to make this game excel, like, and I guess that's a learning from 89 Doors, to, to even have a shot in this industry, I feel like everything needs to be world-class. Like 
you can't uh, you've got to have a great game with great art it's got it's got to look great the sound's got to be great it's just you know it's like a movie if you have a fantastic script fantastic cinematography but the actors suck no one's gonna like your movie and that's the same mm-hmm. with like, um, yeah, with a game. You can't afford to have any weak links. So I just knew that I needed to go bigger and better and everything. But just like 89 Doors, I guess you just start somewhere. I guess there are two options of, of doing this. You know, one approach mm-hmm. might be to, to tackle everything yourself as, uh, as you did in 89 Doors, where it's like, okay, you know what? I'll learn how to, you know, make music and create more beautiful art to your point Mm. or the second approach might look like okay i'm pretty good at x aspect and i'd love to you to tell us what that aspect might be but also i feel like i might need help from others what did that look like for you did you pick option one option two a mix of both i picked option option two i knew what i was good at and yeah i knew what i wasn't good at what I was good at is, uh, you know, just, of course, the game design itself. Yeah, and just bringing things together and creating things. What I am not good at is art. <laughs> so I brought on artists. With the music, I knew I could do an okay job. Like, I knew I could probably make decent music. But I ended up being lucky enough to work with two amazing musicians. And they created, like, world-class music for it. It was just so, so good. I realized that, you know, with an, if I dedicate enough time to something, I can get great at it. It was one of the lessons learned from that, from this process, I guess. Yeah, yeah. If I dedicate myself to something long enough, I can get great at it. That mm-hmm. being said, you don't have infinite time. So it sometimes just makes sense to bring in someone who is, yeah, is a professional. Well, what was that like collaborating with others? The people I worked with were fan-freaking-tastic. I can't praise the musicians enough, especially. My background artist was just a rock star of a human being. And then the character artists, I got one guy, and then like he had to pull out. Uh, then I recruited another guy, and he had to pull out. <laughs> so a bit of trouble with the character artists. But mm-hmm. the second guy, he had also done enough that I could build upon what he did. So I kind of completed the character art using what he had done as templates. So I cool. know that's a okay. weird thing to try and describe. I'm not sure if that came across clearly. It, it did. So once he had built out like the, the look and feel of, of the general characters, you could kind of emulate that based on the original look. Man, yes. <laughs> that's perfect. Yes, yes. That is exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, interesting. So, so, you know, this is as someone who hasn't, done video game design ever um it's interesting to see that you know you have an artist for just characters like that would have never crossed my mind at all because then i guess you'd also have things like artists for the map or the level or or whatever it is right so um pretty interesting yeah for me that arrangement just made sense but of course like you can often just have one artist for a game or one musician for a game but yeah in just in in this case um having having one for characters and one for backgrounds and such. It just made, yeah, just made more sense. Got it. So Forgive Me My Henchman was uh, a lot longer, right? Because you mentioned it was more of a complex game. Yes. Um, what did uh, development timelines look like versus a launch timeline? This is something which ooh, I despise about game design. It always, you always feel cl- so close yet so far to the end. You know, I thought the game would maybe take me a year, 
from start to finish. But no, it took me years. So, I mean, I'd set goals and such, you know, design all the levels, um, test them, get musicians by this date. And it felt like timelines always kept on being pushed back. And I mean, that was part of, part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And um, so as you're going through all of this, it, it feels like you were pretty positive, driven. It seemed like you had a very much a learner mindset, right? Where you're like, oh, let's bounce back from 89 doors and jump into this one. And so what were the big obstacles from this game? How did you try to launch this game this time compared to 89 doors? Oof. Well, I was doing a lot more this time. You know, I started like a, a game blog. I was, you know, reaching out to journalists. I started a Twitter account. And I was just trying to be a lot more proactive, uh, make a better game. But uh, the positive mindset, it's interesting you should, should mention that. So it also, that's also something that kind of started to, I guess, be challenged or kind of break down a bit. Because, when, okay, when so what that, happened is... That, it started to, that that started to happen. So what happened is after um, Darwin, sorry, where I'd been working on as a part-time job, um, I think it was about 2016 or so, where I decided, like, no, I'm going to make this a full-time thing. Like, I, I'm ready. I'm ready to go full-time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I started working full-time, living off savings. I don't know. I think that's kind of, it started to add an element of pressure that wasn't there before. Because you don't have a I guess steady the stream of income? Exactly, yeah. So which made just the stakes a bit higher. It became less of, I want this to succeed, and more of, I need this to succeed. And also, yeah, there's an identity thing with it too, you know, because then I was also, you know, this is what I tell people as well. You know, I guess uh, you kind of start to put your pride on the line a bit. You tell people, people who ask, it's just like, no, I'm trying to make it as as a game designer. And, you know, you really put yourself out there. I decided to go full in. And because of that, of course, the stakes are, are much higher. And I think the emotional toll is much higher, too. What did that feel like uh, during that point when, when you felt the positive mindset start to wane? Oh, it was, um, well, quite a lot. On one hand, on some days, I'd just be so thrilled that, you know, I'd be getting to work on game design, something I really enjoyed. And then on other days, it was just, it felt, it felt so heavy especially on the days where this is just the nature of game design. Sometimes there'll be a glitch and it will take you like literally like hours, hours to find it or a problem that you can't solve for like two, three days. In those times of moments, like I like problem solving, but I guess because the stakes were so high, it felt like I didn't have time for that. And on those days, like the pressure would, it would be overwhelming. For the first time, I've also probably started to struggle with like meaning and purpose. Like, um, as opposed to, you know, a podcast or just something or creating a work of art. It's like, um, you know, you create a work of art. It might be, you know, might take you a day, might take you a few hours, mm-hmm. might take you a month, might, but it's usually smaller time frames. Like a podcast you can make like weekly or biweekly, but it's like you yeah. work, boom, you've got your result. With a game, it's not like that. I mean, it can take, depends on the nature of the game, but I guess a game can take years. You know, when it's been, you know, when you've been working on something for a year, and you, you know, you don't have any outcomes to show for it. I mean, I really started to struggle with purpose a lot. You know, like, what am I doing? Am I just wasting my, am I wasting my time? Am I wasting my life? And 
like sometimes most of the time they would be those kind of questions and those kind of concerns, they would be at the back of my head most of the time. Well, all of the time, but then they'd come to the very forefront. Some of them. Mm. Yeah. That pressure just started to, to get to me. I, and I think, uh, wow. That first off, that sounds tough. It sounds like you're getting kicked in the, you know what, you know? Um, yeah. Continuously. <laughs> just a really raw butt you know it was yeah, like oh. yeah. <laughs> and so the this is all going on it's like 2016 2017 you start to feel this pressure at what point did you turn to when, when did your thoughts land on the kickstarter campaign maybe maybe tell us a little bit about that oh so the kickstarter yeah so i realized that pretty much i drained my savings like i just planned it badly <laughs> Uh, yeah, anyway, so I drained my savings and I realized like, oh gosh, you know, like, Blake, you fool, you actually won't, like, there's still stuff you need, um, like money, which will need to go out to help this game being made. Uh, that's why I thought, well, you know, Kickstarters. It's, it's really cool that you, you stuck it out. You know, you, you made this, you made the decision to, to kind of persevere through the entire thing, even though your gut feeling at the start was like, oh, like maybe this might not work. So it, you know, oh, thank you, man. You, you kept going. Yeah. The idea was that that way I could also learn about it as well. Like if I ever had to do another Kickstarter campaign, I'd be more equipped. One, I said, I'd do everything I can. And two, I, I treated it as a learning opportunity. Uh, when was, when was that Kickstarter campaign? I think that was uh, maybe 2017. No, sorry. It was definitely early 2018. Yes. Okay. And then what happened between 2018 to, you mentioned your video game journey ended in 2019. So could you what walk us through? There? Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, so the Kickstarter did not succeed. You know, I was still committed to completing the game, but I realized that practically, you know, my life had to start moving forward again. You know, I drained my savings you know, I, I guess my regular career path was kind of in, in shambles. And also mentally, like I wasn't in a good place anymore. I just mm. knew I need to kind of, I guess, get my life back on track in some way and at least start making money again so I can live and support myself and support this habit I developed. Um, so what happened? I eventually uh, got this, um, yeah, I needed a job and I got the job which I'm doing now here in Vanuatu. Mm -hmm. um, I arrived in October 2018. So between October and March, I was still you know, doing my evenings and weekends gig, uh, working on this project. But there came a point, um, and I sent the game to publishers. This was an, another important step. And a bunch of publishers, all publishers I wanted to work with, rejected by all of them. You know me. You know my story and how I'm doing things. And usually, like, that wouldn't have stopped me. Why it stopped me this time was because the publisher rejection kind of made me aware of something which I think I'd been afraid to face. That was that, you know, I'd put so much time into this game, so much time, but it was one, like the journey ahead was still so, so far. And number two, I just didn't know how to make the game any better and it needed to be better. Mm. Um, what kind of works with the game is like you, you, know, you, know, you work on it, you work on it, you work on it you save a file, then you make changes you save another file 
So you're always backing up, backing up. And I've done like uh, this game. I'd, I'd say it actually has over 300 iterations. From oh my um, gosh, yeah, yeah. So it's it's a lot of different times. Like, and it, it with each iteration, it just you change something, and it just gets better and better and better and better. And I'd always had ideas, but know how to make this game any better. And I'm not sure if it can be better. And it's and it's not good enough as it is. That's yeah, and that's when I made the the decision to let it go, which is one of the most been one of the most difficult and consequential decisions of my life, I'd say. Wow. Um to to hear you talk about how much love and passion you had for for video game design earlier on in this conversation and then to to make that decision that couldn't have been easy no no it was you know it was absolutely devastating <laughs> there's there's no other way to way to say it it was devastating on quite a few um levels one was that you know Gosh, I, I realized that, you know, I might never ever, you know, get to work on something I loved like this again. I life just didn't allow me that. Like I had to get back and, you know, get to work and get back in the working world. And I felt like it was cruel to be like introduced to something you love so much and then you just don't get to do it. Yeah, I just felt like that was like a cruel thing that life did to me. <laughs> So, so there in was that, that there was in that moment um, when you made that decision, what what were you feeling? Like it must it must have been so much, right? To to kind of process at that moment. But what, what did yeah. that look like so, for you? Different thoughts would uh, create different feelings. So that one was just a sense of like I guess like resentment and anger and bitterness. Mm-hmm. That was one. Another thing I started to feel a lot of was just like just shame so much shame and and embarrassment for who I was. I mean, because I'd been talking about this to people for years and, you know, I'd drained my savings. I'd uh, put my career on hold, everything like that. And I took such a big chance and I was so public about it too. So when it blew up in my face as it did, I just felt so deeply embarrassed to kind of face people and yeah, even face myself, man. That that was very hard too. Mm-hmm. I felt like, I mean, of course, so much regret because regret because to be honest, like Jay, and this this is an important thing. Like, there was no one else to blame for what didn't go right. Like, I know what mistakes I made too, but those mistakes are my mistakes. This isn't uh, like the failure of this wasn't on anybody else, and it wasn't on forces beyond my control I just kind of didn't plan it well so I felt so much regret and I was so angry at myself you know I'm just like Blake why how could you were so naive and you were such a fool and you just didn't yeah I was so I was so just like I was bitter at the world and I was very angry at life itself and I was angry at I was yeah and I was angry about myself too I think I think my my confidence and my sense of self-worth it just I I guess it tanked it's the, it was the lowest it had ever been. Mm-hmm. And what made me really afraid about going to that place was that I was afraid that it was, it was so bad that I'd never come back from it. 
if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like, I felt like, gosh, this is my life now. Like, this is the sense of identity I'm going to, you know, carry with me going forward. So it felt like, I mean, it felt like a kind of death in a sense. Like, it just felt like, um, yeah, like a, a sense of like optimism died and, and yeah, yeah. So I, I was pretty worried for, for myself. Like, I, I think mm -hmm. a lot of the joy, joy in my life just felt like taken away. Yeah. But I think, you know, the anger I could deal with the tough bit was the shame and just kind of feeling that I'd let that I was an embarrassment to the people I cared about. That's kind of like that, that hit me mm -hmm. and yeah. Failing so publicly, it's, it's not fun. I don't regret this experience. This is something, this is, I mean, with time comes perspective, but, um, but yeah, in the moment, those were some of the things I was feeling. Thanks for, uh, thanks for being vulnerable with that. I think, mm. you know, when we, when we first talked about this, it was like, okay, how, uh, how do you, do we want to go on this? Right. And, 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 um, so, so thank you for, for stepping into that. As a creator myself, I feel like that would have been, I can't even imagine it, to be honest, because it feels like it would just be so shitty. And, and so I, I can't even picture what you're going through at that point, even as you're describing it. I'm like, wow, that's, it's overwhelming, um, to be honest, because I, mm. I read through, uh, after our, our first chat, I, I actually read through um, your Kickstarter campaign and the comments, and it was tough, you know, because there was so much um, like belief, you know, uh, from others, yeah. to be honest. Um, it was, it overwhelmed me. Cause I was like, wow, like people love this game. Yeah. That was just so cool. It, it, so, so hearing both of those sides together, it's like, it's powerful. So th thank you for that. Oh yeah. I believed it was going to be completely successful until the moment I didn't, you know, <laughs> you're like crap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So knowing you, we've been friends for, for quite a while. Yeah. You're not one to kind of wallow in, in self-pity either. So what, what happened? Where did you go from what seems to me to be like basically rock bottom? What, where, where did you go from there? Well, uh, to be honest, I, I thought I was going to be a professional wallower. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was just going to be my life. Like, oh, who's Blake? Oh, he's that wallower guy. Oh, yeah. yeah that, I, I, know. I totally misheard you. I, I thought you said swallower. <laughs> <laughs> Things didn't get that bad, Jay. <laughs> Things never got that bad, I'm happy to say. That, that would be rock bottom. <laughs> um. Well, that's the thing. Gosh. So I thought it would have killed me. And I remember thinking that like, even in the early days, in the, in the thick of it, when I was designing the game, I was, cause it was so much of my identity, identity got tied up to it. So I remember thinking, man, if this thing doesn't work out, it's going to kill me. Like it's going to absolutely kill me like emotionally in every single way. Like I'm gonna, yeah, it's going to kill me. That's what I thought. And, and then the game failed. The worst thing I'd feared happened and, and well, you're still alive, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you're, you're still alive. You're, you're beat up, but you're still there. It's interesting. The crumbling of my identity, I guess, if, if that makes any sense, mm -hmm. crumbling of my identity, just old one crumbled and something kind of new had to be, be born from that. Yeah. So a few things kind of got me on track. One was just time, time doing its beautiful thing of healing all wounds. Another was 
the right messages from the right people at the right time. One was, one was from my brother. Yeah, he just kind of reminded me that for lots of people, failure is just a stepping stone. There are people who just hit jackpot after jackpot and their lives are nothing but like victory. But I think for lots of people who are successful, I mean, failure, failure is a part of that journey. He reminded me that it's okay to have failure as part of your journey or like something that didn't work out. And mm -hmm. it's okay. Failing doesn't make you a failure. I guess that's the lesson there. Another thing was I got I had a friend called uh, Peter Zing. Well, we have a friend called Peter Zing. <laughs> <Yep>. um, <laughs> anyway, he just wrote me a really, a really cool uh, message. And because he checked up on me when he knew it failed. And he's just like, I've got it here. He said, Blake, I don't think any of us really cared whether the game succeeded or not. We only hoped that it would because we think that would make you happy. Whatever the outcome, that doesn't change how we feel about you, brother. Mm -hmm. My brother, my literal brother, also uh, mimicked the same thing. He, he was quite proud of me and just like, Blake, I love you regardless and all of that. And why that message was so key was, well, I don't know. I think I've always attached a lot of my self-worth to my outcomes. You know, in terms of like, if I'm financially successful, like I'm a worthwhile person mm -hmm. or like if I'm, if I'm a great game designer, then yeah, I'm a worthwhile person and all that kind of stuff. But when you have that kind of message that people remind you that they still like you, you know, without all, all the success, that is sometimes the right message at the right time. And I mean, especially with my brother, I mean, I, I love and respect the heck out of that guy. And hey, if I've still if I've still got the respect to someone like that, then I guess I'm doing okay. Mm -hmm. I don't think I actually would have faced that insecurity or like had to ever deal with the I guess some of the underlying issues, which is you know self worth being attached to outcomes. I don't think I would have ever actually had an opportunity to do that kind of self surgery if the game had been successful. I think it would have just been something that kind of lurked under my success. I guess failing in this, in this way, it gave me an opportunity to confront things about myself, which I never would have otherwise. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's the thing. I mean, just being in that shit place, sorry, that bad place, mm -hmm. you realize that life moves on. And game design was, of course, very, very important to me. Like I'm more of a human being than just that. Like there's more to, my, there's more to myself. There's, there's more to me than just that one thing. Completely. So, yeah. and I put so much time into game design. A part of me was actually kind of relieved to have free time again. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was nice. I started to be able to, you know, spend time on the other things I enjoyed. And I started, um, I think for the first time in a long time, I started giving myself permission to be easy on myself. Wow. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've developed some other like side hobbies since then. Like I've been doing photography, part of the game journey. Like I had to make a game trailer. That's why I started first getting into videography. Or, but now that's something I'm, I've developed and I enjoy. I'm back to reading again. If something kind of like uh, interests me, I look it up. And so it's nice. Like I have a lot of, I have a lot more time now. Mm -hmm. And well, that is wonderful. So I don't know, Jay, like I feel that, I guess through that failure, I, I do feel, hey, is my financial situation great? Hells no. <laughs> like uh, career-wise, like am I in good a place now as I would have been if I'd never done game design? 
hells no. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and, you know, the, those losses, of course, like make life a bit more difficult at times than it should be. But, well, than I expected it to be. But in, in many ways, I'm also like, I feel like I'm a much more solid person now than I've ever been. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and despite all the, the crap, that's a nice thing to be able to say. Yeah. Yeah. L- looking back um, over this chapter, how, how would you say you were the big changes in terms of who you are now versus who you were in 2013 when you, when you started this? Well, I'm a lot less uh, naive. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm now uh, man. I should change my middle name to strategy because you always <laughs> got to have a strategy. <laughs> yeah. That would remind me of it. So now I'm a lot more, I think, uh, yeah, I'm a lot less naive. I don't know. You know, that old, uh, that old saying, just like, uh, if you love something enough, like it'll work out. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't believe that anymore. <laughs> I don't believe that. I think, you, there's more to it than that at least i think one you got to love something so you'll work really really hard at it but second the third element is i think you also have to be very strategic about it very very strategic about it and that's something i lacked mm. i'm also kinder to myself and that's i think the big something i'm very proud of like i was always during that time you know i was always i was always so hard on myself and that's why i pushed myself so hard I think, but these days, I don't know. I just decided, hey, I'm just going to be, be kind to myself because, you know, I failed and I was beating myself up all, all day, every day. I just thought to myself, okay, what if this, what if it didn't happen to me? What if it had happened to like someone I really care about, put it all on the line and failed so spectacularly? What would I say to them? And I realized the way I spoke to myself versus the way I spoke to them I mean, completely, completely, completely different. That was a moment where I realized that how mean I was being to myself. And I also realized that that had to stop. Mm. Um, I was going to treat myself better than that. And yeah. I was going to be fair with myself. So I think that's the biggest second way, I've, second way I've changed majorly is that now I'm a lot kinder to myself. Yeah. And, and that's always tough, right? Because when you're creating something, there's there's the perfectionist end of the spectrum where, where you just need to get it perfect but mm. along the way you know i think we're like our biggest self-critics you know in terms of like how things should sound and feel and, and, and be uh especially if it's our own creative work yeah i totally get that what mm. what a takeaway now what <laughs> at, at this point yeah. in time uh what what are your personal hopes for the future well, one is uh, <laughs> getting my bank account bigger. <laughs> yeah, like I really feel I've got a bit of catching up to do. Um, so personal hopes, I've been trying to upskill myself, I guess, in the areas of my strength. So communications, and I want to grow in marketing as well. Why I want to get uh, better at these things is not because I'm the most passionate in the world about them. Like I enjoy them, but they're not like I don't live and breathe be nice to have just like a, a basis a basis i can branch off of so that that would be nice that's one of my hopes a bit more stability i would like 2020 to be personally a year of stability which i know it sounds like a strange thing to say but that's something i kind of just need right mm-hmm. 
what does the future look like? Man, it's a very human thing to want to create. I was worried that the failure would make me cynical, but it hasn't. You know, I think I'm, I still enjoy creating things. You know, who knows? Maybe I will do another game one day, but, you know, likely not because of the time it requires. Yeah, I think, uh, I don't know. I, I also really enjoy the idea of like sustainability and su- sustainable tech. So it would be cool to explore that in a way. And my hope is that, yeah, I have a degree of stability, but I also have uh, room and time to explore my passions again. And hopefully one day, like, uh, hey, they'll take over. And hopefully we'll mm-hmm. talk, you know, five, 10 years from now, and I will be doing something that completely absorbs me and, and I love. Hopefully that'll be the case. And, uh, but if it's not, I, I sure as hell hope that I'm still just getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> just getting that money. Getting um, that money. Getting that money. Like, it's a, it's was, fun wiping away your tears with dollar bills. That, that's what I want. <laughs> that's really, that's my big hope. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's funny because like everything you were saying was so poetic and, and philosophical. And then you're like, but I'd really just like to get paid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I have like two big priorities. One is to create meaningful work, and second is to get paid. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> um, it does. It does definitely feel like you have leveled up, if I can use a video game analogy, um, throughout mm. this process. Even though you didn't level up in the in the way you thought um, you did or you would. So, mm. thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time. This is nothing you had to do, so I appreciate you you hopping into this with me and normally the the motto for for this show is keep swinging at the shrubs but i feel like in this case the shrubs became a monster that just like ate you <laughs> <laughs> yeah burn that shrub <laughs> burn it let uh, it die yeah 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 watch out for uh, i'll find I, i'm gonna find new shrubs though i know i know that much about myself but uh yeah yeah that old shrub mm. 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 <laughs> it should just be poison <laughs> poison that trap <laughs> so there you have it leveling up Blake's video game design journey thanks so much for tuning in if you enjoyed this episode please share it with a friend and leave us a rating or review if you want to hear more of Millennials with Machetes, be sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. By the way, did you know you can share your thoughts on the direction of this show? Yep. If there was something you wanted to hear more of, if there was a question that you wish that I asked, feel free to leave me a voice message and I might embed it into future episodes. Head over to anchor.fm. That's anchor.fm slash millennials with machetes and click on the message icon. Until next time, keep swinging at those shrubs. JQ out. What's your preferred game console? <laughs> Right now, I'm so po. So, <laughs> but if I had all the money, it would be I would be the latest PS. Oh, interesting. Uh, say cool. PS4. Mm. As uh, you're speaking to someone who's like who hasn't owned a video game console since N64 back in like high school, so <laughs> I'm like, oh, what would PlayStation even look like nowadays? 
Uh, oh man, it looks so future. <laughs> <laughs> so future. N64 is classic too, though. Mm, let's not lie. Oh, it's still holding up after all these days. Still super smashing.